You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bott and Megan Gesner. Hey, Poison Pals, before we jump into this episode, a really quick note. After I did this episode, I realized there is a documentary on Netflix that actually has the real people, Amy, Lauren, and other members of the hospital, the detectives, so on and so forth, actually speaking to their experiences and how they went about this case. With that being said, this episode is more about the film, The Good Nurse, that's also on Netflix. So this will actually be a two-parter. So this first part will discuss the film version of The Good Nurse, and then there's going to be a second part that is a little bit of like a fact-checking episode, seeing how much of the film lines up with what happened in reality and going to dig a little bit deeper into the actual story and how the case was solved. All right, on to the rest of the episode. We'll get right into it because why not? We we ain't got time to waste. I'm excited about the story ish. Uh, it's not like it's it's definitely like true crime. We're going back to our okay. roots. It's true crime, but it's got the science component, of course. Great. I just stumbled across this because it was a Netflix movie, and before that, it was a book. Before that, Ooh. it actually happened. <laughs> okay. It is The Good Nurse on Netflix. Have you seen uh, promos or trailers for that? Not at all. Okay. I have been signed out of my mother's Netflix account oh, for some time oof. now. Yeah. And while I have the password and everything, I have just been too lazy mm-hmm. to even mm-hmm. log in. I have Fair been enough. sticking to my Hulu stream. <laughs> So, no, I am a a little spring chicken okay. with this one. I don't know anything about The Good Nurse. Okay. I think you would like it's it. It's true crime. It okay, is true crime. Okay. I think you'd actually really enjoy it. I was not planning to watch it. I saw it. And actually, what drew me in was not so much the premise. I actually didn't know what it was. But the, the actors, it's uh, Jessica Chastain, who I love. Okay. And do like her. Do like her. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Eddie Redmayne. So we got okay. some high-powered cast for, yes. for a okay. Netflix movie, a Netflix original. I was like, oh, okay, like, what is this about? And then I was sucked in. <laughs> it was good. Okay, can I guess? Yeah, please. Uh, okay. She, with the, she loves to guess. <laughs> I do like to guess. Ruin it for everybody. <laughs> so context clues that it's a true crime drama. Mm-hmm. And the title's Good Nurse. Yeah. Is it about a nurse that poisons people? Pretty much, uh, but okay. goes more than poisons, kills. Ooh, okay, okay. Like killing us, which is not original. We unfortunately have several killer nurses. Yeah, there are actually quite a few cases there out are. there. There are. Of nurses and physicians who are known mm-hmm. to have been serial killers, actually. Yeah. So I'm curious if um, I'll recognize the name of who this is actually about then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Yes, hopefully you will. I mean, not hopefully, but maybe you will. So as I already said, the story is based on a movie that came out on Netflix on October 26th, our two-year anniversary. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called The Good Nurse, starring Jessica Chastain, Eddie Redmayne. And it's a true story about a, a nurse, Charles Cullen, who people know as Charlie. 
who intentionally kills dozens of patients at multiple hospitals that he worked at in New Jersey and Pennsylvania in the early 2000s. So all this happened in 2003, like the court case and everything got settled by 2003, but it has been happening since 1986. Okay. That's a long time. (laughs) very long time and if you're a book reader this movie is adapted from a book originally titled the good nurse a true story of medicine madness and murder by journalist charles graber so there's that Mm. if you'd like to read so being a nurse is already a tough job but being a night shift nurse and an ic in the icu too is double whammy you're taking care of some of the sickest patients who require a lot of attention and just attention to detail i worked briefly in the icu and that was during covid too so it's just like Mm -hmm. high stress for everybody involved but it is tough because you do see a lot of death and they are sick but the whole point is like ideally you would like to get people a little bit better i don't know how it works for every hospital but at least the hospital i was at there's levels. So if you're in the ICU, you're at your sickest. But if you start to get better, then you get to be moved out of the ICU and then you get to one level up in the hospital area. And then you keep mm-hmm. like kind of going up depending on like your level of sickness. So mm-hmm. I wonder if that's how it was here. But yes, just so everyone knows, ICU is where the most critical patients are. So like I said, there's a lot of death as it is. I say all of that because the person who the story revolves around is not Charlie Cullen or Charles Cullen, it's actually the good nurse who is Amy, his coworker. So this mm. is it's gonna be told through the perspective of her. Okay. Amy was going through her own struggles at this hospital even before she met Charles. She has something called cardiomyopathy, which is a heart condition that affects the heart's muscle specifically. In Amy's case, it seems the ventricles in her heart were too large. So basically they're thinned out. Uh, so making it difficult for her heart to pump the blood to the rest of her body properly. Mm. This causes shortness of breath. And in general, you kind of just have to take it easy. If she experiences anything that will cause her heart to overexert itself, like stress, heavy exercise, heavy lifting, et cetera, it could, her, could cause her heart to go into cardiac arrest. So in the movie, her cardiomyopathy is really bad, like to the point where she needs a heart transplant. But fact-checked from Amy herself, the real-life Amy, she said it was never that bad. But she did have a pacemaker to regulate her heartbeats to make sure that she did not go into cardiac arrest or anything like that. And mm. she was also taking medication. So that part is true. At some point, while Amy is working at Somerset Hospital in New Jersey, I believe, yeah, New Jersey, mm-hmm. they receive staffing approval to hire another nurse for the night shift. They were low-staffed as it was. Amy was taking care of way more patients than you know was typically assigned to her. So having that right. extra help was was helpful. So that per- that new night nurse that came to help is Charlie Cullen. Amy and Charles actually become quick friends. They're both single parents to two kids. They bond over this. And Charles has shared custody of his kids, but the kids live with the mom. So they bond over this, as I said, and become very, very close. I don't know the extent of their real-life relationship, but in the film, Charlie helps Amy watch her kids some days and just helps her out so that she doesn't overexert herself with her heart condition. So he's very much like they're like tied at the hip in the in the film, at least. And her kids are fond of him. Like, all is all is good. 
by outward appearances, Charlie is a good nurse. He came with great experience and even good recommendations. So there wasn't anything right off the bat to seem untoward or off. But then a patient dies. Now, that's not necessarily unusual. Again, remember, it's the ICU. And this patient was older. I believe this patient was in their 80s. But their cause of death was still deemed suspicious. So an internal investigation was conducted. Hmm. I'm not familiar with standard procedure or if it differs from hospital to hospital, which it probably does. But it seems that if a death is deemed suspicious, then the police need to be involved uh, once that is established to be the case, meaning once it's established that the the death is suspicious. Do you know anything about what um, flags a death as suspicious? Like what are the key signs that a physician or a nurse would note to be like, it is odd that this person died? Like, do you, do you know I, if there I are signposts, know. like very specific things? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like perhaps there are, but I have been... I was working when there was a death deemed suspicious mm-hmm. and it didn't seem like there was, you know, like they were following a guideline or an algorithm or anything like that. It Sometimes it's more like, oh, sometimes the, it's obvious, like something's clearly off. Like in the case that mm-hmm. I'm thinking about is like a, a like a two-month-old baby died um, right, right. suddenly, right? And then mm-hmm. like that's clearly like something's wrong. Like you're a ba- like it's a baby, right? Like why would they die? In this situation, it did, they didn't explicitly state, but it you're, it's implied that she was getting better, and then overnight she suddenly just died, and right. it, it seemed right. seemingly out of nowhere. So that is strange. When well, you can't really pinpoint like oh this person was declining, like it this is this makes sense, like they were going to die anyways type of thing. Or like mm-hmm. someone dies of a car, car, like a heart attack or something, like something actually happens to their body where their body shuts down, that's different. Mm-hmm. But if it just seems like they can't pinpoint it, it's out of nowhere, that's where I've seen consistently the case where they will deem it suspicious involve the police. Got yeah. it. And suspicious, I guess, suspicious doesn't ne- necessarily mean automatically like, oh, it's potential homicide. It Correct. just means like we need to investigate yep. further how this person passed yeah. because it doesn't seem to line up with what we've been observing so far 100 percent. that does not at all mean that oh someone killed this person it could be just also an honest mistake like unfortunately in the hospital in the pharmacy in clinic whatever there can be times where patients meds get mixed up and someone gets insulin where they're not supposed to and Mm. if it's if it's an elderly person and getting like a regular uh dose of insulin that could be enough to kill them it just depends on the person's body weight like so many factors right Right, so it could be like that's considered suspicious but you just need to investigate it and deem like it's not really intentional so now it's at this point where like was this intentional or unintentional we just need to figure out exactly the answer and then document it continue on okay at somerset hospital the police were notified but not until seven weeks later at that point, the patient's body had already been released to the family, and per that family's wishes, the body was cremated, making, meaning any possible evidence of foul play was now destroyed. Hmm. This was red flag number one to the police detectives working the case that something was off. Why did it take so long for them to involve like actual authorities? Like, because technically, like an internal investigation, like there's no one of, I would say, like legal authority who can like make 
decisions like that. It's just like risk management, essentially, right? Like, how are they conducting a seven week long investigation before involving actual authorities? Like, so they're like, why did it take you so long to come to us? And on top of that, when they do come to them, like when the Somerset Hospital internal investigators come to the police, they're basically like, oh, here's all the documents. Like, you don't have to worry yourself with all the medications. Like, we know it's like a long, complicated list. We found nothing wrong. And the detectives first thought were like, they didn't say voices, but they're just like, if there's nothing wrong, why did it take you so long to come to us? Like you would have just come to us after like a week or so and been like, hey, like we did our, we ran our stuff. Doesn't seem like there's anything going on, but you can go ahead with your investigation and close it out for us, right? For them, like you want to close this out as soon as possible. So just some red flags over there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it was risk management at the hospital conducting this internal investigation. Additionally, any and all documents that were collected during the hospital's internal investigation were meant to be handed over to the police. But only a single manila folder was given instead of like the boxes and boxes of like typical documents that they accrue. And when the police detectives want to question each of the ICU staff, risk management demands to be in the room. And says that the detectives can't ask any questions about specific medications. Okay. So the detectives are like, this is bullshit. Like, what employee is going to feel comfortable enough to be fully open and honest when they're essentially like their boss is in the room? Right. But that was how it had to go. Now, this could be played up for the movie, but when Amy is being questioned about her patient that died, because so the person who died was Amy's patient. Okay. Gotcha, Um, gotcha. Yeah. So, again, this could be a play out for the movie, but essentially the risk manager gets called out on, out of the room for an urgent call. So the detectives have a few precious moments alone with Amy to ask her anything that they want. So they quickly mm-hmm. kind of slide their manila envelope to her and show her a list of meds and labs that the deceased patient was given the night that they died. And they okay. ask Amy to see if she sees that anything that seems off. And this manila envelope, this is from talks reports or this was provided by the hospital staff? Like this is what we have on record from what this patient was taking. Correct. Okay. So the, the latter records mm-hmm. that they had from the patient the night that she died, essentially. Okay. So she's Amy scans the sheet and she's like, oh, no, I think everything looks fine. And then she like, you know, typically like at the end, she's like, oh, wait, no, the blood sugars are off. Mm. What I think she sees is that the patient's blood sugar is really low meaning she mm. was either fasting, hadn't eaten in a while, or her body ha- was producing a lot of insulin. Mm. If her body was producing insulin, then you would see a high level of something called C-peptide. That's what she says in the in the film. She's like, oh, I don't see the C-peps on the lab. Meaning mm. C-peptide is like a small little peptide that is on the end of the insulin molecule. So if you don't have diabetes, then you are able to make insulin in your body endogenously as we all should from our pancreas. And at the end mm-hmm. of the insulin molecule is the C-peptide. So if you're naturally producing insulin and someone were to take like a C-pep lab from you, it will show up on there because you Got make it. it in your body. It, does that yeah. make sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what she sees is an absence of C-peptides in the patient's lab results, but her blood sugar was very low. So right. she was like, that doesn't make sense to me. She's like, this only happens when a patient is given exogenous insulin, like in the case of diabetes. Someone's injecting mm. themselves with insulin. The only thing is she knows her patient doesn't have diabetes. So she's like, this, okay. is, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. 
So that is considered a medical error, meaning someone had switched the meds, someone or either gave. So she's not even thinking like that. She's like, oh, this is a double med error, meaning that someone gave the patient the wrong dose. It must have been someone else's dose of insulin that they gave on accident. And that's how she died. Mm-hmm. But then she does say, she's like, that's pretty rare though for insulin. Like insulin's like, I know working in the hospital, like it, it's a high alert medication because it's so dangerous. So for someone to mix up meds like that is pretty rare, is what she's trying to say. So the detectives come to know that Charlie Cullen had worked at nine different hospitals and a nursing home before coming to Somerset. He was either fired, let go, or he left on his own accord, but not once was there transfer of knowledge or information passed along from hospital to hospital, notifying the institution of Charlie's reason for termination each time. Basically, he killed patients at every place he went to and would either leave right before things got too hairy for him, or the institution would heavily suspect that he was tampering with meds or giving patient meds at incorrect hours, but they couldn't prove it because they're not like catching him in the act. So they Mm. would just let him go and not say anything because it also reflects Mm. badly on the institution is what I'm assuming was why they don't say anything. But were there some circumstances where he was terminated for just like that suspicion. Well, so you just gave an example of he was left, but they couldn't like pin anything on him. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't terminate him. Right. Yeah. But were there circumstances where like he was definitely terminated because they were just like, no, you're uh, acting inappropriately with the medication or like, we don't trust you with patients. Were there ever instances like that? Nope. Okay. So basically he was, tampering with medications and killing people but leaving before anybody could be suspicious of him yes and no i would say 90 percent of the time he was fired or let go but they won't the institution didn't want to put it down because he was killing people or that they suspected of it because then they would have to do internal investigation they would have to provide evidence like they they would have to do all these things so they would just they would right. literally make up the random shit like I'll, I'll there's an example from somerset mm-hmm. hospital because they let him go too but the reasoning mm-hmm. is just total total bullshit so mm. yeah it, it's it's a whole the whole thing is frustrating okay okay gotcha so again that's like, what happens when you know that's when your healthcare system is for profit when hospitals are for profit mm-hmm. although i will say who was i talking to maybe um sarah Yee has some insight mm. into this as well but Actually, Swetha was telling me one of her best friends, one of her bridesmaids, li- used to live in London and said that the NHS is hor- horrifying. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. yeah. She's yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's so bad. Just because it just takes so, so, so long, I'm sure, to get yes. an, an appointment. Yes. We love you, NHS. Okay. Continue. <laughs> so, yes. So, he – no one wants to do the work, unfortunately. So, he just keeps – that's how he's able to bounce around. It's unfortunate. So going back to the detectives, the detectives, this is them talking about Amy. They say, quote, Mm -hmm. she came across as a strong-minded, intelligent individual. So I rolled the dice and revealed some of our findings to her, one detective said per People magazine. Mm -hmm. He he decided to show Amy a record of the names and drug dosage. That's what I was talking about earlier. The names and drug dosage information that Charlie had withdrawn while working in the ICU. And Amy said, Mm -hmm. quote, it was very, very obvious there was something not right. She – so you got to imagine like at this point like basically like he's like her only friend. Like they're very, very close at this Mm -hmm. point. So she was hesitant to believe, of course, that this was happening. 
she didn't know that Charlie had been bouncing around to nine different hospitals before this job. She had no idea. She had heard he came with glowing recommendations and experience, and he was her good friend now. It was too much to process, but she also couldn't ignore that something wasn't right. And then another patient dies. This time, the detectives, through Amy's help, confirmed it was from an overdose of digoxin. Digoxin is a congestive heart failure medication, which we'll dive into deeper later. In the movie, Amy connects with an ex-colleague because at this point, she's like, okay, now we had two deaths. The detectives feel like it's Charlie who's responsible for this, but his actions towards me, like him like him as a friend to me, tells me otherwise. Like, How can this person who's so kind and so nice be doing all these things? Like, Why would, they, why would he kill people like this? So God complex? Well, that's saving people. Never mind. But he might feel like he's saving them by like releasing because they're the ICU. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Taking them, taking their pain away. Correct. Another patient dies. And at this point, she's just like, I have to at least explore the possibility that my friend is killing patients. Right. Mm. So when Charlie comes to Somerset Hospital, when he first starts like his first week or first day, he meant she asked him like, oh, where where are you coming from? Like, what hospital did you come from? And he like mentions the hospital and she's like, oh, like one of my close colleagues works there or now. Like, do you you know her? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So she basically goes and talks to that colleague of his okay and was like i know her too we used to work together for like years like she'll she'll talk to me so she connects with this ex-colleague let's just call her rachel who works at a hospital that charlie used to work at she essentially uses this meeting as pretext to learn more about him on her own before getting more involved with the police investigation because her job could be at risk like they basically the hospital was like you're not allowed to talk to police without risk management present you know like Mm. That you can be fired if you talk about patients, that's patient confidentiality, like HIPAA, blah, 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 the list goes on, like threatening them because they don't want anyone speaking about anything without their knowing, of course. Right. So she's like, I got to make sure if I'm really going to like do this, I have to like make sure that he's the one. So she wants to know for herself. So she asked Rachel if she knows Charlie and what she thought of him. And Rachel says, oh, yeah, like I know him and he got fired. They found insulin mm. in a patient's saline bag who ended up dying because of it. Mm. And so she was like, wait, you saw him do this? Like you actually saw him like put the insulin in the saline bag. And she's like, well, the hospital found several saline bags like that. They found a tiny pinprick in the bag from where the <gasps> needle was inserted to inject mm. the insulin. Mm-hmm. No one really could confirm for a fact that it was Charlie who did this, but Rachel says that when Charlie was working, they'd have two to three codes a night. And if people don't know what code is, that's when like someone is like basically their heart stops, like they're coding. That's when you like pull up the paddles, and, like you do CPR. So they'd have two to three codes a night. And after when he, he left, was when he was working, got when it. he okay. was working, and yeah. then after he left, she was like, "We got like one a month." So she's like, "We can't." We can't pinpoint it to him specifically, but you but know. he was still fired, though. He, so he that's was where, fired. That's, yeah, that's kind of like a little bit of my disconnect. Is like I get mm. it; they can't pinpoint it. But I'm my question is: so what is the reason they used for firing him? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I don't know exactly <laughs> the reasoning for all of the other ones, but it's hilarious. Like what they fire him for? It's just like really what like, they I, came up with as correct. like an excuse to fire him. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 
Amy said in an interview that she, quote, shut down when she was told what her friend was doing. I completely dissociated from reality because I could not process it. It was such an intense emotion that I couldn't even grasp it, she said. But she knew she had to stop Charlie from hurting more people. Mm-hmm. The detectives knew Charlie was responsible, but they didn't have any evidence directly linking him, again, to these suspicious deaths. They couldn't essentially, like, catch him in the act, Right. Right. The previous hostels that Charlie worked at refused to work with or speak with the detectives, so they couldn't get any evidence that way. Amy was basically the only person who had direct access to him, so the detectives asked Amy if she could please help them in their investigation. Like Only she would be able to help them crack this. So, Question real mm-hmm. quick. Because my experience in a hospital setting is very limited to high school volunteer experience. I volunteered in the ICU, setting up nursing station supplies, all that stuff. Sure. My question is, are cameras ever allowed in these areas? Because I can't recall seeing cameras in some spaces. But, you know, it's like this, they're not able to catch him in the act. Where is he doing the act of like filling up the ivs with insulin in a like a storage closet right like- no truly like so it's the storage room it's like basically the the storage area for nurses or the pharmacy area like the one they showed i was like oh yeah i remember being there <laughs> like like literally right. like stocking the shelves with those saline bags that he's like injecting it to mm-hmm. from what i can tell like i wouldn't say pharmacy definitely has uh, cameras because it's where all the drugs are. It's merchandise. Yeah. Correct. So he's doing it in the nursing storage area, which I don't believe there are cameras, although there should be. And there's definitely not yeah. cameras in the patient the patient rooms. That's what I was that's what I was gonna ask is are cameras in hospitals a HIPAA violation? I would that's, that's my guess. Qu- I don't know. I, I think I it would know. be like if I had to guess, yeah. I feel like that is a violation of their privacy essentially, right? That's what HIPAA is. So I don't think there's necessarily cameras. And especially think about this is like, even if now, like, I don't think there's cameras, there definitely would have been cameras back in like 1999 or 2000. Right, right. right? Also, I was going to make this joke earlier, but I was like, (laughs) clearly this is during a time where LinkedIn did not exist. No, truly, (laughs) truly no. And also I would say like healthcare people are really bad at being on LinkedIn to begin with. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They don't, they don't need it. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm seeing, okay, I Googled it. I am seeing that there are some answers that say a healthcare facility may lawfully install surveillance cameras on the premises in areas deemed open to the public in hospitals. There's also an answer that says security cameras can be installed in patient rooms to Mm. keep patients safe. Yeah, maybe like psych wards or something like that is my guess. Yeah, I I don't see a need for an ICU situation. Yeah, I think I think it it has to it's. I think you're right. Like it has to be under special circumstances because it does go. That same answer goes on to say like a doctor may place cameras in other parts of the hospital, but cameras are not permitted in patient rooms. Mm. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be because of HIPAA. There's no other reason I can think of. Yeah. So at this point, the detectives are like, please, please help us. Like we're they're basically hitting a wall, hardcore hitting a wall. So like we need something. Mm -hmm. It was Amy's eldest daughter who helped convince her to work with the police 
she spoke to her then 11-year-old daughter, Alex, before talk going to the authorities. Amy tells her daughter, I told her our lives might completely change. I don't know if I can do this to you. Amy told People Magazine. And Alex said, Mom, he's murdering people. Like, you have to. Yeah. 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 So she ends up going. So she starts working closely with detectives and prosecutors and eventually participates in a wiretapping that brings Charlie down. Cullen, Charles Cullen was eventually charged with the murder of 29 people per the Times. Mm. However, some estimates, and this is what they put in the film at like the end where they just have like the text, some estimates have put the number of his victims closer to 400. So he's serving 11 consecutive life terms in prison in Trenton, New Jersey. As a wrap-up to the story piece, even though uh, Charlie was fired or forced to resign from at least six different hospitals, not a single complaint was made about his competence or any questions about how he handled his patients to the medical board. Like, nothing was submitted. Like, forget about police at this point. Like, I Mm -hmm. know, like, people will submit, like, random shit to the medical board, and they didn't even submit anything. Like, this, I feel like, Mm. was warranted, but they still didn't submit anything to the medical board. Only one hospital in Pennsylvania made a report to authorities. Not clear what came out of that. Clearly nothing if he was able to keep going. The background checks on nurses at this time were not as extensive as they were for physicians, which likely Mm -hmm. played a role in him being able to move around so much. Information about Mr. Cullen's performance and the dismissals were never forwarded to his future employers, which again allowed him to bounce around from one hospital to another with ease. Charlie typically worked in the critical care units. He was first fired Mm. from St. Barnabas Medical Center in New Jersey, where he worked from 1989 to 1992. And then from there, he bounced around to seven to eight other places before coming Mm -hmm. to Somerset, where Amy worked. And ultimately, his employment was terminated on Halloween Day 2002 because here's the answer why he was fired. He put the wrong dates on his application. Wait, explain that further. (laughs) Exactly. So his application, his like application to Somerset. Yeah. To when he was applying for the job, I guess he put in the wrong dates for when he worked at his previous job. And that was unlawful per his contract. So they fired him based on that. I see. So it's it's stuff like that that they fired him for. Something that is like totally unrelated. Something that will not, you know, cause anyone to sniff around to the real right. reason. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's totally like innocuous thing. Yeah. Correct. So she like mm. that. Dr. William Kors, who was the chief medical officer at Somerset Medical Center, called it, quote, outrageous that none of Mr. Collins' previous employers had reported problems with his work. Somerset and one other hospital had notified prosecutors of these issues, so it wouldn't happen again. So how did he do it? He would usually volunteer for night shift, sneak into patients' rooms, and inject them with lethal doses of drugs. His Mm. weapon of choice was a powerful heart medication, as I said, called digoxin. It's believed that he would take the digoxin from the Pixis machine, which for people who don't know what Pixis machine is, like um, some hospitals have a mixture of both, but Pixis machine is basically a drug machine. It, ha- it contains all of your medications that a, t- a hospital will typically store or use for their patients. So mm-hmm. every nurse will have essentially like, um, like a, what do you call it? like a key card that they swipe and then they have to like put in their password and then they put in the like this is how much the drug that they want how much they want it and then boop 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 it like a little drawer will pop out with that medication and how many they asked for essentially so 
Um, where did it go? So he figured out, Char- Charlie figured out that if you cancel the request at the right time, then the machine will still open. Oh, mm-hmm. that's an interesting little workaround. Yeah. He, he says, he does say in the film, at least that there's an error in the Pix machine or it's faulty. That's yeah. allowing him to do that. So I don't think this is something you can do at every Pixis machine. So I'm not promoting this. That's right. Tip, I mean, I imagine. Trick. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, like, do you know if that's been corrected since? Because I feel like that's a huge thing for whoever produces this machine, right? Whoever mm-hmm. manufactures this. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they got heat, maybe. Yeah, probably. I'm sure they did. Uh, I don't know if it was just like a bug in the system that someone just had to fix. But mm-hmm. he does say, like, he figured out that if you do that, but on the system, so like I said, he, he'll ask for digoxin, then quickly cancel it, but the mm. med will still open, the box will still open, grab his the digoxin, and he'll be on his way. But mm. the key thing is on the system, because it's linked to the nurse's name. So right, there's a history. he's using his badge. Correct. He's using yeah. his badge. That's the, that's the word I was looking for, badge. Mm-hmm. He has a whole history of the meds that he takes out and what time and for what patient. So on the system, it will show up as a cancellation. So it can't really be traced back to him. It can in the sense that like, oh, you have a bunch of like digoxin cancellations. Like, why is that? But, and the police were like, is this not enough? Like he's clearly like, do you like figure a way around the system and collecting this digoxin and like giving it to patients? But per like the law, like per like what their like superintendents were saying, no, like just because he can't, it just shows a bunch of cancellations. Yeah, it doesn't show that he actually used it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how can we prove that, you know? Yeah. So they are like, we need to catch him, like, quote, unquote, in the act, or he has to confess. So ultimately, right. they could never catch him in the act. But Amy got him to confess, like, through, like, the wiretap. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Anytime I see a wiretap scene in cinema, I get so anxious. Oh, I'm it, like, oh. it was so, it was anxiety ridden. <laughs> At that point, it sucks because – not sucks. Like, it's difficult and I'm always curious how I would fare in a situation like this because especially when it's someone who's very close to you or who was up until that point very close to you and now you know who they really are and you're still trying to pretend like nothing is wrong and you're trying to extract information out of them on top of that. Like, how do you react? How do you act in that scenario? Real quickly, I did the math. So I'm going back to that that claim that potentially he murdered up to 400 people. Mm, mm. So this started in 1988? 1986, I believe. Okay, sorry. Let me redo that. (laughs) (laughs) It ended in 2002, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's 16 years before he was caught. Okay. And hypothetically, if he were to kill 400 people in that time period, that's an average of 25 people a year, Mm -hmm. which I now do not think is totally impossible. Yeah. But he's only worked in nine different places. And I think that if 25 people passed away under his care at one hospital in a year, Mm -hmm. that's super suspicious. So I do think 400 is a reach. Like, I think that's definitely an exaggerative number. It's not impossible, but the fact that he only worked at nine different places in that time means to me, like, there's no way he he would have been caught way earlier. Because that would be, again, hypothetically 25 people dead at one hospital under his care in a year. You know what I mean? No, I totally agree. And just some numbers. I mean, again, like they say up to 400. Like there's no proof of that number, of course. Right. What what they what I do have is at least at Somerset, he killed 13 people in less than a year. And then at a different yeah. hospital, he killed 49. 
Ooh. Yeah. So I was like, because that's, oh. yeah. that's the thing, like as to your point, he got fired or let go from all these places, but it was never tying him back to what he actually did yeah. because again, they could not tie it to him directly. They could not correlate and be like 100% with certainty you are doing this because he was sly mm-hmm. about it. Like he had a, he had a way of just working it around the system anyway. Right. So who knows if it was really that much. Yeah. So that's how he got away f- with it for so long without rousing much suspicion. He killed 13 patients in less than a year, and that's what eventually got him caught. Well, what really got him caught was Amy, but he yeah. never said or explained why he did it. Okay. Now – Wait. So so go back to the wiretap because I think that's when I cut you off. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm anxious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just like what happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So – spoil it for me i mean i'm probably gonna watch it right after we record now because i want to see oh it's good it's a quick watch too megan okay um anyways so do you really want me to spoil it for you (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) i don't know this is one of those those one of those times where i actually don't mind if it spoils it because i already know the grand scheme the grand plot that's right like if this is based in real life i could find the spoilers quote unquote because it's a real event that happened Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i don't think it really ruins anything for me like yeah yeah basically she does i think she does two wiretaps the first one she meets with him at a diner and she is just losing her mind because remember something that is a through line throughout this whole film that is played up again more so than it is in real life is her cardiomyopathy like she's right she is constantly sweating bullets and feeling like she's like like clutching her chest like, like she's about to like have a heart attack right in that moment yeah, yeah so yeah. F- high stress events like this like doing a freaking wiretap with a serial killer essentially not a great situation so she like literally feels like she's gonna keel over and like die in that moment and so she's like trying to like calm herself down i wonder if the wiretap is just you can hear her heart just no, going crazy you can that's they literally put that in the film like the, ah. the the detectives are like listening you know like typically like in a van like yeah to the side and they're like listening yeah. with their headphones just like this and all you can hear is like the boop, 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 boop. Right. They're like, yeah. it's like listening through a stethoscope. Yeah, truly. And, and they look at each other like, man, she's nervous. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we can hear her. Okay, okay. So then, yeah, he, he comes in and he's just like chit-chatting. Because he basically was like, hey, like he keeps calling her. She is in the know. He is not, right? And she's finding it difficult. Because she's, I would say, like, she seems to be like us. Like, very, she's a very honest person. She's a nurse, like a good nurse, you know? She can't fathom how someone in the same profession as her, someone sitting right beside her, could have the total opposite intentions. And she just can't she can't wrap her head around that. Anyways, so she's finding it difficult, of course, like I think any of us would, to be around him at work and be honest with him at work. Mm-hmm. So she, again, works the night shift. So she has two kids. When she's home it's during the day she's sleeping right because she has to be up at night so she has a pretty much like a full-time nanny who takes the kids to school uh, makes them dinner until she comes home and then she takes care of the rest once she gets back from work so she was at work and that was the same day that charlie gets terminated like his employment gets terminated for like the whole wrong dates situation okay 
so she comes home and she's like, oh, like, like there's something good on the stove. She like tastes it's like a delicious pasta. She's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Like she's like loving it. And then she like comes into the living room and it's Charlie with her kids. And he's just like hanging out, playing games with them. And she's like instantly is like, you can see her start to shake. And she's like, where's um whatever her name is? Like, let's say, where's Joan? Like, where's where is she? He's like, oh, I, yeah. I told her to go home. I'm like, I, I okay. can handle it. <laughs> I get, I want, she's like, I want to help I, you out. Okay, okay. So I get that this, again, might be a dramatized Probably. version of events for to make the m- movie a little more exciting. But in the movie at all, did they ever establish that sort of relationship outside of work where he would go and, like, hang out at their house or yeah. watch the kids? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Like, he would help her out because, again... Th- Everything is more dramatized in the yeah. film, but they that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know to the extent of their actual relationship or how their friendship went, but mm-hmm. he is over a lot, like to the point where like he doesn't let her drive because he's like worried about her heart condition. Oh my God. She's like on a heart transplant. Is he trying list. to kill her? No, no. Like there's there's <laughs> points where you're like, oh my God. But he's like genuinely like trying to help her out. Here, okay, huh. let me just tell you the context because yeah, it, yeah, was, it doesn't make any sense. So She's on a heart transplant list. I guess, like, she's relatively new to Somerset Hospital. Like, I think she's been there for eight months now. In order to qualify for, like, full health insurance, she needs to have worked there for at least a year. So Mm. she's like, shoot, like, I can't afford this heart transplant. I can't afford even, like, some of the basic medications or procedures that I would need to get, labs, et cetera, until I have health insurance. Because, like, they show her going to, like, the hospital and the doctor's office, and, like, she's getting, like, an MRI done or, or et cetera. And it's like a thousand dollars out of pocket that she's paying, you know. So they kind of establish her background of like money is not hard to come by for her, but she's definitely like doling it out a lot yeah. because of her condition, yeah. and it's tough on her. She really mm-hmm. needs this health insurance, but she pretty much every other night on the job, like she's working nights. That's already stressful, like on your body. That's not like your regular body system that increases right. your heart rate to begin with. Plus, like as a nurse, like for the critical care patients, like you have to turn them every couple hours so they don't get bed sores. So she's turning like full grown yeah. men. Like that's a lot. She's lifting lots of weights and they show her like she's like she has to like sit down. And she think like she literally thinks she's going to die like every other day on the job. Cardiomyopathy, that doesn't fall under like disability. <sighs> you know, it sh- sure should. It should. But she doesn't, yeah. doesn't want to tell anybody at work because she thinks she's going to get fired. And she mm-hmm. like it's just like this vicious cycle of like she has sure. this thing going on but she doesn't want to let people know because they're going to be like oh stay home like don't work you know but mm-hmm. she's like I need mm-hmm. the money to pay my hospital right. bills or my clinic bills and I also right. just need to work to get enough days to reach to like a year you know yeah so it's like one of those situations so she confides in Charlie about this because he basically finds her on the floor one day like barely breathing and he's like mm-hmm. trying to like help her he's like just breathe just breathe like i'm here whatever and he was like is everything okay and she like tells him like i have cardiomyopathy i have this going on and then mm-hmm. he she was like i just need to like make it to four more months basically so i can get this health insurance so he helps her he's like i want to do whatever i can to make mm-hmm. sure that She's like, it's four months. We're in this together. It's four more months. So he like drives her to all of her like clinic appointments. He's at home like cooking for the kids. Like he's just taking whatever load off of her back essentially. So there is that established relationship there. 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. if that's actually happened in real life, I don't know. I try to look for some tidbit of her like talking about it, but I feel yeah. like maybe that's really personal that she she doesn't want to mm-hmm. share mm-hmm. just considering the circumstances. Yeah. Because she wasn't even listed. I was looking at the original um, Times articles that came out from 2002, like all the way leading up to like his sentencing in 2003. Mm-hmm. They never once mentioned her by name. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. like she wanted to be anonymous. Like she wasn't sure of the outcome because right. only in 2013, <clears throat> so literally like 10 years later, did this mm-hmm. book come out from her perspective. And then gotcha. like 2022 – the movie came out, you know? So like gotcha, gotcha. she clearly like did not feel comfortable is my assumption. You yeah. know, of course. Yeah, that right? makes sense. I think yeah. that's totally fair. Yeah. Totally. So that's kind of like the backstory. So that all happens. And then she kind of tells him like very kindly like to leave. She And she puts it on the pretext like, <laughs> I, I, I really want to spend time with my girls. Like I, I haven't been there enough for them. Like my girls are mad at me because I'm just like never home when I am. I'm tired. So I just want to spend time with them alone if you don't mind and she's like i know you just made all this food like i I so appreciate it but you understand right and he's like yeah 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 fine no worries and then like he leaves right and the next day the detectives call her in and they're like call him like this Mm -hmm. is a like you're in a good spot where he may be you guys are so close at this point where he might actually confess to you so she calls him on speaker with everybody in the room and he was like yeah like do you because he keeps calling her and asking her, like, oh, like, what, like, let's hang out. Like, I miss you. Cause, like, they're not at work together anymore, right? She's like, um, yeah, like, I wanted to get lunch with you. Like, when are you free? And he's like, tomorrow. And she's like, oh, uh, how about Saturday instead? So desperate. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's the diner scene on Saturday. Like, she right, meets with right. him and she kind of comes out right with it. And she's like, she, she approaches it in the sense of like, I know you did this. Mm. why she's like i just she's like she's like i think i can try to understand why someone would do that but can you please tell me like why you did it and he gets angry but he can't really get really angry because they're in the diner and he just starts talking because he comes to her in scrubs and he's like got a new job Oh my God, so quick. Yeah. She's just like, oh, Jesus. That's what her. She's like, I got to move fast. (laughs) Like, he he literally has a shift that night. He's like, I'm, he's he's like, after lunch, I'm going directly to my shift. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, we got to, we got to get this guy fast. So Mm -hmm. he leaves. He like, he like leaves the conversation midway. He doesn't say anything to her. And then he goes. What, where he ends up actually confessing to her is when he's already in jail. They are able to pull oh. him in on some charges, like of suspicion of, or yeah. at least attempted murder. So he's held there for like whatever, 70, 72 hours before they can release mm-hmm. him. And mm-hmm. she goes there and talks to him. And he eventually like confesses to okay. her. I, at least that's how they say it in the film. I know from like the things I've been reading, she says, it says that he confessed during her wiretapping. So it, they might have mm-hmm. changed it a little bit for, for the film. Okay. But. Yeah, dude. Like, there's some other stuff that I didn't include that's from like the Times articles that I was reading, but mm-hmm. he was incredibly. This might be, this is trigger warning about suicide. He was mm-hmm. very suicidal. I think he tried to commit suicide like upwards of a hundred times in his life. Wow. Okay. Which is why I find it like tragically ironic that he ended mm-hmm. up killing so many people. And mm-hmm. it seems like they're all. Of course, unsuccessful suicide attempts. And it got to a point where it was just like, I like something like something outside of myself is not allowing me to kill me. So I think 
that's why he started to kill other people. He did mention mm. something like he felt like he was putting them out of their misery or doing them a service by doing that, but he never like really confirms that in, in yeah. other places. Um, so there is, he didn't have a really great childhood whatsoever, not to justify his behavior at all, but just backstory mm-hmm. on him. And the first person he killed was a vicar of all people. Hmm. So let's end on not a nice note, but more history of digoxin because that's the drug yeah, of yeah. choice. I personally really like digoxin because it is one of our natural drugs that have come out of mm-hmm. nature. So I already said it, it's a drug given to people who have congestive heart failure. And essentially, the drug improves your heart muscle contraction and gives your heart a helping hand to pump blood around your body. Digoxin is also what is called a cardiac glycoside and also has an effect on your heart's electrical activity, which is why it's also used for patients who have atrial fibrillation. We may now know from this podcast that digoxin is derived or isolated from the gorgeous foxglove plant, Mm -hmm. which I think is in your mom's backyard. I think so. <laughs> I think it is. It digitalis. Yeah, yeah foxglove. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful purple, like kind of like, like, like little bells. It's really pretty. Mm-hmm. Now, they say that Dr. William Withering is credited for conducting the first ever, ever clinical trials of foxglove extract to treat a condition called dropsy, which is essentially like edema or fluid retention from heart failure back in 1785. But I actually just did a video for this for the Halloween series. It was a witch Witches have been using foxglove for years to treat all kinds of ailments, including dropsy. So the backstory to this is a man goes to Dr. Withering, who has dropsy, and he asks mm-hmm. him to treat him. He gives him some medications, doesn't do shit. So he's like, all right, I'm going to get a second opinion. So he goes to his local healer slash witch. They actually call her a gypsy, but I didn't want to to use that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just the local healer. So he he gets a second opinion from her and she gives him this concoction that honestly has like 20 plus plant uh, plants in it, basically like, uh, mm-hmm. extractions of plants in it. He takes it and he's completely cured. Hmm. So Dr. Withering, so the patient goes back to Dr. Withering and was like, hey, I'm healed. And Dr. was like, how in the world? And so he tracks down this healer and was like, give me some of whatever that is that you gave my patient. And then he essentially comes to the conclusion, oh, like the key ingredient that actually healed the patient is foxglove. So then mm. he does like his – like they're considered like the first ever like clinical trials where he was mm. able to extract the foxglove derivative. But why is this such a dangerous drug? Digoxin is notorious for having what's called a narrow therapeutic index. And that's just a fancy mm. way of saying that it has a very narrow safety margin you must dose the patient within that small window of safety. Too much will kill you, of course, and too little will just have no effect. Mm-hmm. And you also don't want to give them too little. You may think like, oh, that's not like necessarily a bad thing, but this drug has a lot of nasty side effects. So if you're not, if you're going to give someone something like this, like you better, it better freaking work. Uh, so too, too high of a dosage can cause delirium, depression, arrhythmia, and possibly death. Even though digoxin isn't a poison per se, it's one of the few regular drugs that we have that has an antidote. So if someone is given too much, we can give them something called digifab, and that will mm. essentially decrease digoxin concentrations in the body if you overdose or whatever happens. This is more of a fun story, but 
uh, Van Gogh has been theorized to take foxglove extract. And there's a theory that he suffered from digitalis toxicity because he would paint mm. a lot of yellow halos in his work due to something called xanthopsia, which is mm. a color vision deficiency in which there is a dominantly yellow bias in your vision due to a yellowing of the optical media of the eye. Huh. Mm-hmm. And if you look up his, some of his paintings, I'll give you two in particular – in Starry Night and The Night Cafe, where everything seems to be painted through a yellow lens. He also has a painting that he painted called The Portrait of Dr. Gachet, which is his doctor holding the foxglove plant. <laughs> Although this is all just theory, it's not fact. I'm looking at them now. Yeah, yeah, look it up. <laughs> I don't remember Starry Night having like yellow glaze, but The Night Cafe is literally yellow. <laughs> it's sepia. Like straight sepia. The, which um, one? Starry Night or The Night the Cafe? Night Cafe? Oh, yeah, yeah. The Night Cafe. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you think you've seen an image so often mm-hmm. that you can recall exactly what it looks like. And yes, in my brain, it's like I don't have to look up Starry Night, but yeah. I'm going to. And I guarantee you now with this new information, I'm going to look at it totally differently. Oh, I see what they're saying with like the yellow halos in the sky. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So that's okay. what I thought you meant originally. And then when you mentioned the night cafe and I looked it up, I was like, okay, that's definitely a yellow tinge across the whole piece of work. I feel like... But Starry Night, yeah, is just the yellow yellow orbs around the stars and stuff. It could be a possibility. Like, I would be curious to know when he painted those because maybe it was a progression of it getting mm-hmm. worse by the time he, he painted the night cafe. But, mm-hmm. but who knows? Yeah. But that's it. That's the story. So interesting. So is he still in prison right now? Like he's not, he's young, right? Um, Like if he was, it's 20, that's been 20 years. So what, he's in his 60s? Yeah, he's 62. Okay. Oh, he's like, like relatively young. Thank you for sharing the story. Thank you on behalf of those who might not watch the film. Yeah. Maybe they don't have a Netflix account. Didn't know about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my antidote is, it's the same antidote I've used before, but I finally did a big grocery haul Love it. and I made this bomb butternut squash Ooh. curry Ooh. that my mom used to make for us when we were growing up. Oh. And I just love the fact, and I've I've now made this dish several times okay. before in the past, but like, you know, I just haven't talked about it on the pod. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't come up. I just love the fact that I eat it and i'm like oh, it tastes just like my mom's like oh. i'm so proud of myself <laughs> totally i that's all i get that feeling <laughs> for you to be yeah. able to make something that you loved to eat as a child growing up yeah that's a huge accomplishment i i agree i just yeah. like i'm like sometimes when i have those moments i think about wow i'm so lucky mm-hmm. and blessed to have this skill and i'm yes. not trying to knock anyone who doesn't enjoy cooking like if you don't enjoy cooking or have no interest in it that's fine yeah but i'm just i love this particular dish that my mom made and i'm just glad that i'm like now i don't have to rely on her to make it <laughs> i can do it myself also and i think of like for example when so for me my, that dish for me is like making my mom's like coconut chutney for like dosas mm. and idlis and things like that yes. which i actually just made today so that's Love. that's too funny that you brought that up yeah but i'm like i i feel like i make it now as good if not better than her now at this point mm. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to actually say that. I, I was almost going to say, dare I say, mine actually tastes better. Ah, there we go. The <laughs> but, new age. Yes, it's that yes. new age flair. So, mm-hmm. but I was going to say like, for me to be able to take one, the interest in understanding and knowing how to cook it and then recreate it on my own at home. I'm like, that in a way is like, that's legacy. Like that's memories. That's like food is memories and being able to pass it on to like kids one day maybe. And, and that's like keeping that up in the family. Otherwise it just yeah. like dies with that generation, you know, unless like right. you write it down. Right. Whatever. And right. I remember one day my, um, basically my dad's eldest sister or his only sister, mm-hmm. but his older sister, uh, when she was here in India, like this was about like more than 10 years ago, she's basically, she had the same thing as you, Megan, same as us. Like she's the only person of all six boys. Like she's the one mm. girl. So she was the only person that like traditionally like learned how to cook from her mom, yeah. uh, who was my dad's mom who passed away when I was a baby. So she's the only yeah. one that has like those recipes in her mind. Like she never wrote anything down, but she had it in her mind because she's cooked it so many times. So my mom was like, can you please like write it down mm. so that we have it like somewhere stored yeah. away? Cause those are recipes that we're never going to get again. You know, those are right. very specific to her and the region, the land where she grew up on. And she was a forager. Like she would go out and just pick from like around the forest and the jungle and then come back and like cook. Like we've lost that art. I don't appreciate it enough to know that I can just whip this up whenever I want to and be confident in it. I think there's a skill that builds when you keep making it a few times, as you said, and you're like, I you think I'm even making it better than my mom now. I'll never yeah. tell her that, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll just tell it to the whole world on the podcast. <laughs> but she doesn't need to hear. <laughs> no, she doesn't need to hear. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that's it. And just keeping traditions alive. That's the antidote. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. You know what we should do? Mm. We should take whatever we feel like we're cooking better than our moms. <laughs> we should do a taste test, a blind taste test with our families Ooh, and just say, that. hey, okay, mom, this is the dish we're making. Mm-hmm. You cook in your little pot or, or pan. <laughs> I'll cook in mine. And then we're going to blind taste test the family. Oh, my and God. And see which one they choose. My mom will get like I'm burst so- into tears. <laughs> so hurt. <laughs> But I'm going to do it. What if if she eats yours and then she's like, oh, this is better than mine. (laughs) Oh, my mom. My mom would be happy. She's like, good. Yeah. You better make it better than me. (laughs) I think that would be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know there's a good biscuit for this. I was trying to, I was, I'm trying to diss the institutions for not saying anything. Uh, so yeah. don't risk it for that. Uh, no reason unemployment biscuit. <laughs> Give a reason. What's that? Risk. No reason. Yeah. <laughs> don't. That's true. Do risk it. Risk management biscuit. Yes. Risk management. That's right. Risk management. Yeah. Tisk tisk on that. 